Go ask your mother. Were you raised in a barn? Close the door. You didn't beat me, I'll let you win. Don't worry, it's only blood. Don't you have any normal friends? Let me read the paper first. Get your elbows off the table. I told you, keep your eyes on the ball. Who said life was fair? I will ground you for life. You call that a haircut? Hay is for horses. This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. Turn off the lights when you leave the room. Do you think I'm made of money? What do I look like? A bank? You think money grows on trees? You call that noise music? We're not lost. It's five minutes later than the last time you asked me. Shake it off. It's just pain. When I was your age, as long as you live under my roof, I'll tell you why. Because I said so, that's why. Do what I say, not what I do. Wipe that smile off your face. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You want something to do? I'll give you something to do. <laughs> this is your last warning. I'm not just talking to hear my own voice. What part of no don't you understand? I don't care what everyone else is doing. You're not leaving this house dressed like that. If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. I'm just resting my eyes. Act your age. Two wrongs don't make a right. What did I just finish telling you? Don't make me stop this car. <laughs> if you are a dad, you have said most of those exact words. And if you're not a dad, you have heard your dad say those words more times than you can count. Because dads are famous. Sometimes we're infamous for how we do this whole parenting thing, for how we do this whole relationship thing. Right now, there are about 64.3 million dads living in the United States of America. And of that 64 million, about 26 million are part of married couple families with kids under the age of 18 living at home. And of all of those people, most of them, most of us, both love our dads and suffer around our dads. Generally speaking, if you're a son, your experiences with your dad will be a little bit different than if you're his daughter. But regardless, to some degree, to some extent, every one of us in this room walks around 24-7, 365, with a father wound that's a part of us. It's been my observation, as well as it's been my experience, that people with completely positive dad experiences tend to be vastly in the minority. If you had a warm, wise father who was around all the time, who shared a lifetime's worth of knowledge and experience with you and managed to bring the perfect balance of fun and responsibility and discipline and love to bear on your family, uh, you're probably confusing your dad with some sitcom dad on the Brady Bunch or the Cosby Show or Leave it to Beaver. I hear people all the time say things like, I never really knew my dad. He never seemed to be around. My dad never told me he loved me. Dad always seemed distant. He always seemed distracted or detached. No matter what I did, I couldn't please him. My dad was, he was quiet. He was a loner. He seemed to be angry. My dad, he worked and, well, he worked. I've spent my life trying not to be like my dad. We've all said or thought or heard sentences like that. 
in reference to our dads and the dads of the people in our life. This morning we are in uh, week three of our series called Baggage because the deal is we all drag around some relational junk through our lives, sort of like we drag around pieces of baggage through an airport trying to make a connecting flight. As such, it clutters up not only our relationships, it clutters up our very lives. So far, we've talked about sort of unpacking the baggage of an unhealthy self-image, and we talked about unpacking the baggage of living with our regrets. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about the baggage uh, that we know as unforgiveness. But this morning, uh, without making any excuses and without sweeping anything under the rug, I want to talk with us about some of the baggage that you and I have with our dads and how you and I as sons and daughters, whether your dad is still living or not, how we can begin to unpack some of those dad issues that we all grapple with. Why are dads the way they are? Everyone knows that men and women, that dads and moms are about as different as night and day. I love what Dave Barry writes. He says, women, for hormonal reasons, can see individual dirt molecules, whereas men tend to not notice them until they join together into clumps large enough to support commercial agriculture. There is just something different about the way God has wired men and women, about the way he's wired dads and moms. Barry writes also, he says, the essential skill of parenting is making up answers. When an experienced father is driving down the road and his kid asks him how much a certain building weighs, he doesn't hesitate for a second. 3,457 tons, he says. The reality is there's a lot in life that dads don't know, even though we think sometimes that we do know it. Not only are men and women uh, just vastly different, but men and women are motivated in different ways. Dads and moms are motivated in different ways. If you read the research on this, we're told that typically a woman's self-worth is derived primarily from her home, from her family, from her children. Uh, as such, her primary needs tend to be uh, to be loved and to be cherished and to be secure in her family, in her home. A man's sense of self-worth, however, is primarily derived from his work. As such, his primary need is to feel respected and, and validated and appreciated. The Apostle Paul, uh, when giving some instruction to both husbands and wives and children in his letter to the Ephesians, sort of sums up his teaching in that section uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, with these words. He says, so each husband should love his wife as much as he loves himself. And each wife should respect her husband. He hones in on the very essence of what dads and moms need from each other, of what husbands and wives need from each other, of what men and women need from each other. All of which goes a long way in explaining why women so often will throw themselves into their family, will throw themselves into uh, their children and into their children's lives, while men, on the other hand, will throw themselves into their work. It's most likely in the home that a woman is going to feel most loved and most secure, and it's usually at work when he's performing and he's producing and he's providing that a man, that a dad, is going to feel most appreciated and most validated, most respected. And thus we have one of the great tensions in life, in the life of dads, the tension between home and work. This is why it is so crucial, just a side note here, this is why it is so crucial for moms and wives, women, to respect their husbands. Otherwise, they will turn to someplace or someone else for that respect, for that validation. James Dobson writes in one of his books, he says, Mothers are the primary interpreters of a father's personality, character, 
and integrity to their children. In other words, the way children see their fathers is largely a product of the things their mothers have said and the way they feel about their husbands. Because of the way most men are wired, dads are just different. Men are just different. Dads don't show love and affection in typical ways. And again, we're speaking generally here. A man typically will show his love and affection for his family, his commitment to the family, not so much with tenderness and and words as he will by working and producing, by providing for his family's needs, by fixing things when they break, by solving problems when problems crop up. There's a phrase I've been reading about lately known as split-second aging. And the whole concept is that there are periods in our lives, there are actually seconds in our lives, split-second moments, whereby we become cognizant of having aged at that precise moment. Most of us don't experience these with any regularity. We go through huge chunks of days and months and years without realizing that we're aging. But there are these split-second moments of aging whereby in just the snap of a finger, you realize you've gotten older, you've aged. Whenever I have to buy a car or sell a car, Whenever I have to fix something or try to fix something around the house that breaks, whenever I have to chart a course for a trip, whether it's even across town or or across uh, the state, I can't help but remember all the times my dad did those things. And every time I experience those, I experience this this phenomenon known as split-second aging. Because whenever dad would buy a car or sell a car or try and fix a car, whenever dad would try and repair something around the house, whenever dad was responsible for getting the family across the state or to visit uh, you know, grandparents or to go on a vacation or whatnot, it was always a huge, huge ordeal. And everyone was stressed out and everyone was pulling their hair out. And it was, it was just a big deal. Sometimes he was successful at it and sometimes he wasn't successful at it. But I look at my own life and that's who I've become. And every time I experience that... I realize, wow, I'm becoming like my dad. And I've aged. And I'm becoming older. And I'm no longer a kid. And then I remember, I wonder if my dad felt the same way when he was dealing with these things. I wonder if he experienced those moments of split-second aging. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my dad, I thought, knew how to do anything. I thought my dad knew everything. I assumed he knew every answer to every question, and I assumed he knew how to solve any problem that would come our way. I assumed he was never afraid. I assumed he never felt inadequate. I assumed he never lacked direction. I assumed there would never be a challenge in my dad's life that he could not tackle, and not just tackle, but be successful at tackling. And then I look back, and somewhere along the way, my illusion of my dad begin to crack. Your illusion of your dad begin to crack. It happens at different ages for different ones of us. I'll never forget, our family took two vacations between the time I was a kid and 18 years old. We used to go visit grandma, but that didn't count. Trust me, it didn't count. (laughs) And on one of the two vacations, we actually, we lived in Tennessee, and we actually made our way to this area. And we went to Williamsburg, and I remember driving through Virginia Beach because my brother had never seen the ocean, and he wanted to see the ocean. And, and I remember on one particular night of this vacation, we were in Mom's 1973 Buick Estate Wagon with a 455 with the wood grain paneling down the side with the wide interior. It was a wonderful, wonderful machine. And I remember sitting in the third row seat in this station wagon, 
one night about midnight, and it was storming crazily. And I remember being so afraid of the weather, and, and we were looking for a hotel, and we couldn't find a hotel. Every hotel we went to, booked up, booked up, booked up, booked up. This was before the days of the Internet. This was before the days, apparently, of reservations. This was before the days of anything, because there was not a hotel around. And I remember being so afraid and thinking to myself, I'll bet my dad is scared to death driving through this storm trying to find a hotel. But he never showed it. And it was years later that we started talking about that again. And I remember him telling me he was scared to death. And I remember thinking, that's not right. That shouldn't be. And you've had experiences like that. Whenever my dad would work on my mom's car or work on his truck, it would be an all-day endeavor. And you, we just sort of had a rule in our family. You didn't walk within 50 feet of the vehicle if dad was under it. You just didn't do it. Because there were no telling what kind of things would fly, what kind of words would fly. You just didn't do it. You just kept your distance. All in an attempt to save some money. All in an attempt to, to do it himself. And I used to look at that and I used to think, wow, why don't you just take it to a mechanic who knows what he's doing? I didn't say that. I only thought that. And I've become like that. And many of you have become like your dad in those ways. And you experience these split-second times of, of aging. Every dad I've known lived with an incredible sense of failure. And they don't act like it. We put on airs and we, we act like we've got it all together and we act like we know what we're doing. But the reality is most guys who are dads live with this underlying sense of failure, this underlying sense of inadequacy, this underlying sense of, of not measuring up, of struggling between the tension of what society says a dad should be and who they actually are as a man. John Eldridge, in one of his books, tells the story of him and his best friend going out uh, into the Alaska wilderness uh, to do some camping and at one particular point in the story, he jokes around. He says, Craig and I were, were, were joking about this as we hacked our way through grizzly-infested woods in Alaska. The only other guys we met all day long were a group of locals on their way out. They looked like something out of Soldier of Fortune magazine. Sawed-off shotguns, pistols, bandoliers of ammo slung across their chest, huge knives. They were ready. They had what it takes. Us, we had a whistle. <laughs> he writes, I'm serious. That's what we brought for our dangerous trek through the wild, a whistle. Talk about a couple of pansies. Craig confessed, me? What can I really do? I mean, really. I know how to operate a fax machine. That's about it. Every guy I know, every dad I know, struggles with a full-blown identity crisis. Not just some days, every day. And if you're a guy, I'm sorry for letting the cat out of the bag. You're going to leave here in a few minutes, and you're going to try and talk to your wife on the way home and say, that's not me. I don't struggle with that. What a wimp he is. Let's look for another church. But the truth is you do, and I do. We have this ingrained concept of manhood that, that we struggle with, and then we have society's definition of manhood, which uh, society sort of feminized what it means to be a man, and then we have what Hollywood says is a real man, and then we have the example of our own dads, whether that was good or whether that was bad, and then we have our wife's expectations for us as a dad and as a husband, and then we have our kids' expectations for us as a dad. And we put all that into this big mix. And most guys, most dads walk around not having a clue, but sort of making it up as they go along. And then we come to the Bible. 
And we read about Jesus and we read about His Father. And we see a relationship there which is a little different, obviously, than our earthly relationship with our Father, but there's a lot of similarities. When Jesus was 12 years old, on one particular occasion, He got separated from His dad and His mom. Actually, He just walked away and He went to the temple. And dad and mom are looking for him, Joseph and Mary, and they're sort of pulling their house. They don't know where he's been. And, and finally, someone says that he's in the temple, and they go in the temple, and he looks at him. and says, didn't you know I had to be dealing with the things of my father? And you read that, and you think, wow, what a, what a connection there that this 12-year-old boy was that cognizant of what it meant to be his son's father. Another occasion when Jesus was older, he told his disciples, he said, I've come to do the work my father sent me to do. And on another occasion, the Father, our Heavenly Father, spoke from heaven and said about His Son, This is my own dear Son, and I am so pleased with Him. There are some of us in this room that would cut off our right arm to have our dad look at us in the eyes and say, I am so proud of you. You are so valuable in my eyes. I love you so much. In the time that we have left this morning, um, I want to just offer a, a couple of things that you and I can do to begin unpacking some of this baggage of our dad issues. So we're just going to walk down through a few of these. The first of them is this. You and I need to affirm what our dads did right. We need to affirm what our dads did right. Maybe you grew up with a dad who emotionally abused you or verbally abused you. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was absent for most of your childhood. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was controlling or who was angry or who was detached. And you're going to have to look really deep and really long and really hard to find anything about your dad that is worth affirming. But you have to do that. I have to do that. We cannot live our lives, and I don't care whether you're a son or a daughter, we cannot live our lives with that kind of baggage, thinking we're going to somehow be able to deal with it and get rid of it and unpack it until you and I are ready to acknowledge that there were some things, maybe there were a few, but there were some things that our dads got right. And we just need to learn how to affirm those things. It doesn't mean we excuse all the junk. It doesn't mean that we sweep all the mess under the rug. It doesn't mean that we look at our dad through some rose-colored glasses. It means that we simply are adult enough to affirm that our dads, with all of their faults, with all of their failures, they still got some things right. Your temptation, my temptation, is going to be to fixate on all that our dads did wrong. But if we do that, we will never be able to unpack this baggage known as dad issues. And if your dad is no longer living, you still need to do this. You still need to figure that out in your own thinking, in your own mind. Maybe you need to go to a good Christian counselor. Maybe you need to find a support group whereby you can pour your, your heart out and, and, and just sort of your history out. But you and I need to do whatever it takes to begin affirming in our own minds some of the things that our dad's got right. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians for just a second. Ephesians chapter 6. There's an interesting passage here that I think we sometimes assume is meant for someone else. Ephesians chapter 6, the first three verses. This is right after the passage of Scripture uh, that Paul talks about husbands and wives. And he says this. He says, Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father, honor your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Why? That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Most of us who are parents, we use that verse, don't we? We don't apply that verse. We use that verse. That verse is one of several in our arsenal to get our sons and our daughters to do what they need to do, to behave the way they need to behave, to honor us, to respect us, to to not question our authority. And so we use that verse. But here's the deal. That verse is not just for you and me as dads and moms. That verse is for you and me as sons and daughters. You say, well, my dad is, is elderly or my mom is elderly. makes no difference. The principle holds true. I think a lot of times we assume that it doesn't apply to us but to our kids. But your dad is the dad God gave you, like it or not, good or bad. He is the dad that in his sovereignty, he allowed you to be related to. And in spite of all that he might have gotten wrong, you, have, you, you just have to figure out how you can honor him and how you can respect him. And I think that begins with affirming what he did right in your life. I'll never forget, this was a number of years ago, and I have a good relationship with my dad. Uh, I mean, you know, we had a rocky you know, time from about 13 years old to about 18 years old, as I think most kids do. And I went away from home, left home at 18. And, 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 but over the years, as I've thought about this, I've come to the realization that my dad did the best my dad could do. And a lot of times it wasn't good enough. He didn't know how to handle his emotions well. He didn't know how to deal with my brother and I well. He didn't know how to deal with my mom well. I sure hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> but the fact is, he did the best he could could do with what he had to work with. And that's not an excuse, and that's not, you know, that's not some kind of denial thing. It's just coming to the realization that my dad was a human being, just like I am, who struggled with the same inadequacies and the same sense of failure and the same sense of not measuring up as he tried to figure out this whole relationship thing, this whole marriage thing, this whole parenting thing in a world and a culture which just warps and skews it. And it was just a liberating thing for me when I came to the conclusion a number of years ago that he did the best he could do. And I'm going to affirm that in him. So I think it's the first thing we need to do if we're, if we're serious about unpacking some of this baggage that surrounds our dads. Just affirm what your dad did right. Second thing I think we need to do is, and, if, and this is especially true, if your dad is still living, you need to make the most of the time you have left with him. You need to make the most of the time you have left with him. Uh, when I left home at 18, I've never been within 600 miles of my dad since then in terms of living. I've always been separated by at least that much distance. And as such, uh, you know, we've gone through our entire adult life, and I see my dad once, sometimes uh, back in years past, twice a year. And a couple of years ago, I was on the phone to him, and we were talking, just shooting the breeze about nothing. And out of the blue... My dad's seven, fixing to turn 76. Out of the blue, he said, you know something, son? I figure that I see you about once a year, which means if I live as long as I think I'm going to live, I'll only see you about 10 or 11 times before I die. I just sat there. I didn't know what to say. 
But what it did in me was make me think, you know, I've always expected my dad to take the initiative because my dad was my dad. I've expected him to take the initiative in our relationship. But I need to take the initiative. I need to make the most of the time we have left while he's living. Herb Gardner writes the following. He says, even now, 21 years after my father died, not a week goes by that I don't find myself thinking I should call him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the point when my dad passes away and regret not having talked to him, regret not having seen him, regret not having to invested in him like he invested in me when I was a kid. If you are allowing some kind of relational junk to stand between you and your dad, I just want to challenge you to play that movie forward. Because there's going to come a day when he will die. There's going to come a day when you will attend his funeral. And at that point, there will be no making mends. At that point, there will be no clearing up things that were unclear when he was alive. At that point, there will be no figuring out how best to relate to your dad and look over the bad and focus on the goods. At that point, it's a done deal. And so I think if you and I are serious about beginning to unpack some of the baggage that surrounds our dad issues, I think we need to, if he's still living, just make the most of the time that you have left with him. And that may be long distance. That may be via the telephone. But you do that. There's a third thing I think that is helpful, and that is uh, possibly the most important. I think we need to let our Heavenly Father fill in the gaps left by our earthly father. We need to allow God, our father, to fill in those gaps that have been left by our earthly father. And all earthly fathers leave gaps. King David writes in the book of Psalms, he says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. For God is a father to the fatherless. Guys, we live in in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And just like you and me, our parents are sinful, fallen people. And I know you know that, and I know I know that, but we need, we need, we need to understand there are some things that our dads and our moms just cannot provide for us. There are some things that you and I are going to have to look to our Heavenly Father for. There are some experiences <clears throat> and some circumstances in your life that only God can heal, that only God can make sense of, that only God can help you make it through. That's just the truth. When I realized that my dad didn't know everything, when I realized that he wasn't all-powerful and all-knowing, it was a scary thing. But it caused me to rely on my Heavenly Father. All that your parents aren't for you, God can be for you. So don't expect your dad or your mom to fix all your problems and to give you all a great sense of security and to, and to make your life just a wonderful thing. They're fallen people just like you and I. They, they struggle just like we do. And there are some things about you and your life that you're just going to have to turn to your Heavenly Father and allow Him to fill in those gaps for you. There's a fourth thing. And this is actually directed just to you guys who are dads. If you're a dad, 
You need to ask God every day for wisdom to be a dad. And again, none of this negates moms. That's a different topic for a different time. But if you're a dad, you need to ask God every day for wisdom to be a dad. Our culture paints such an unrealistic picture of what it means to be a man and such an unrealistic picture of what it means to be a dad that it's not even funny. I I like reading Garrison Keillor, and he writes this. He says, manhood, once an opportunity for achievement, now seems like a problem to be overcome. What you find is terrible gender anxiety. Guys trying to be Mr. Right, the man who can bake a cherry pie, go shoot skeet, come back, toss a salad, converse easily about intimate matters, cry if need be, laugh, hug, be vulnerable, perform passionately that night, and the next day go off and lift them bells onto that barge and tote it. He says being perfect is a terrible way to spend your life, and guys aren't equipped for it anyway. I think there's some sense in which our culture expects guys to be perfect. Our culture expects men to be not just men, but to be women. And so if you're a dad, you're going to have to make sense of all that. You're going to have to interact with your sons and your daughters as you're making sense of all that. And more than anything else, you just need to ask God for wisdom every single day to figure out how best to be the dad that you're supposed to be. Dads, you don't have to be perfect. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what the sitcom dads portray. I don't even care what your family expects. You do not have to be perfect. You're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to blow it. You're going to fail. You're going to do the wrong thing when you should do the right thing. But in the midst of that, you need to be turning to your Heavenly Father every single day and just asking for grace and asking for wisdom and asking Him to help you be best dad that you can be. You probably are not going to get a whole lot of encouragement toward that. You're probably not going to get lots of pats on the back for going out and doing your job. You're not going to get a lot of brownie points for bringing home money and and providing for your family and making sure the cars run and making sure the trash is bagged and all that. You're not going to get that. That's okay. You figure out how to be the best dad you can be to your family, to your kids. Being a dad's not rocket science. All dads blow it. But if you you just make sure, you just make sure that your kids know that you value them. You make sure your kids know that they are competent in your eyes. Let them hear you say, I'm sorry and I blew it. And please forgive me. Model, Model what it means to be a Christ follower for them. Don't just talk about it. Model it. Talk to them about God. Share your struggles and doubts with them. Make sure they know that you love them unconditionally. You may not like everything they do. You may have issues with them until the day you die. But you make sure they know you love them no matter what. Spend time with them. Help them be a kid. You do whatever you can to help them not grow up too fast. We live in a culture that says you grow up fast. No, you do everything you can to keep them a kid as long as you can. And don't you apologize for it, and don't you think you're going to warp them. You help them be a kid. They're going to spend the rest of their life being an adult trying to figure out the dad thing like you did. You help them be a kid. Let them fail, and then help them back up. Tell them stories about your dad and how it's been hard for you sometimes. And never forget, Sean Catherine was writing a paper for school uh, this weekend, and... um, 
it was about veterans and freedom and whatnot, and so I was sort of helping her with it, and she had written sort of the first draft, and I was reading down through it, and she comes down through one point in the paper, and she says something to the effect, and my grandfather, he served behind the scenes in the military as a cook in the Marines. My dad was in the Navy. You don't, you, I called my dad up yesterday. I was on the way to Virginia. I called my dad up. I said, hey, I just need to let you know something. Your granddaughter wrote this sentence in one of her papers. And so I read it. What? Oh, you know. He just, he went, you tell her, anchors away. He just, he just went off on this thing. I'm just glad my daughter knows I have a dad, you know. She got the service wrong, but she knows he was in the military. That's good, you know. I'll never forget the first time um, when Michael was playing baseball. The first time we were out throwing the baseball. We used to do this a lot. I'll never forget the first time we were out throwing the baseball, and I made a conscious decision. I'm going to throw the ball as hard as I can throw it like I used to throw with my dad. I made that conscious decision because up to that point, you know, he was like three, and you couldn't do that kind of thing. You know, you had, you know, uh, you know. And, and so I just thought, you know, I think he's old enough. He, he, he gets it enough. And so I hauled back and I threw as hard as I could throw. That was the glove, not the face, the glove. <laughs> right in his glove. He turned around and he hurled it back. It was a face, you know, <laughs> me. I was so proud of him that day. And I remember saying something to him about that. Something like, if you ever throw that ball that hard at me again, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> this whole dad thing is not rocket science. And so I just want to encourage those of you that are dads. You figure it out. You do the best you can do. You ask God for wisdom every day. And then you trust Him to work in your life and in your family's life. Someone sent me the other day this story uh, called the board meeting. I'm just going to read it and we'll wrap up. The board meeting come to an end. Bob started to stand up, and he jostled the table when he did, and he spilled his coffee over his notes. How embarrassing, he said. I'm getting so clumsy in my old age. Everybody had a good laugh, and soon we were all telling stories of our most embarrassing moments. It came around to Frank, who had sat quietly through the board meeting. Someone said, hey, Frank, tell us your most embarrassing moment. Frank sat there for a minute, and then he chuckled to himself, and then he began to tell us of his childhood. He said, I grew up in San Pedro, and my dad was a fisherman, and he loved the sea. He had his own boat, but it was hard making a living on the sea. He worked hard. He would stay out until he caught enough to feed the family. Not just enough for our family, but also for his mom and his dad and all the other kids and their families that were still at home. I wish you could have met my dad. He was a big man, and he was strong from pulling the nets and fighting the seas for his catch. And when you got close to him, he smelled like the ocean. He would wear his old canvas foul-weathered coat and his bibbed overalls, and his rain hat would be pulled down over his brow. No matter how much mom washed them, they would still smell of the sea and of fish. When the weather was bad, he would drive me to school. He had this old truck that he used in his fishing business. And that truck was older than he was. It would wheeze and rattle down the road. You could hear it coming for blocks. And as he would drive toward the school, I would shrink down into the seat, hoping to disappear. Half the time, he would slam to a stop, and the old truck would belch a cloud of smoke. He'd pull right up in front at the school, and it seemed like everybody would be standing around watching. And then he would lean over, and he would give me a big kiss on the cheek. And tell me to be a good boy. It was so embarrassing for me. Here I was, 12 years old, and my dad would lean over and kiss me goodbye. I remember the day I decided I was too old 
for a goodbye kiss. When we got to the school that day, his old truck came to a stop. He had his usual big smile on his face, and he started to lean toward me, but I put my hand up, and I said, No, Dad. It was the first time I'd ever talked to him that way. And he had this surprised look on his face. I said, Dad, I'm too old for a goodbye kiss. I'm too old for any kind of kiss. My dad looked at me for the longest time. His eyes started to tear up. I'd never seen him cry. And he turned and he looked out the windshield. You're right, he said. You're a big boy. You're a man. I won't kiss you anymore. It wasn't long after that when my dad went to sea and he never came back. It was a day when most of the fleet stayed in, but not Dad. He had a big family to feed. They found his boat adrift with its nets half in, half out. He must have gotten caught in a gale and was trying to save the nets and the floats. Just before Frank walked out of the board meeting, he said, Guys, you don't know what I would give to have my dad give me just one more kiss on the cheek, to feel his rough old face, to smell the ocean on him, to feel his arm around my neck. I wished I had been a man then. If I had been a man... I would never have told my dad that I was too old for a goodbye kiss. I know you got issues with your dad. I got issues with my dad. My kids have issues with me. Your kids have issues with you. But I'll just tell you, life is too short and too fragile. And we are too sinful and warped. For us to go through the rest of our days dragging around a piece of baggage about our dads. Most of your dads did the best they could do. They weren't perfect. They blew it. But most of your dads loved you. And so I just want to encourage you. This is one of those pieces of baggage that you just need to turn over to your Heavenly Father and you need to pray through and talk to Him through and work through. And if your dad's still living, you go to Him and you start, you start treating Him with some honor and some respect and some admiration because He is your dad. If you would just bow your heads, I'm going to pray and if you're a dad, I just want to invite you to just stand up. No one's looking. Everyone's eyes are closed. I just want you to stand up, and I'm going to pray for you as we close. Just stand where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. God, uh, you know, you know what goes on in the mind of the men who are standing here as they attempt to do this dad thing, this husband thing, this relational thing thing you know how we struggle you know how we have feelings that are just so mixed because we we don't get it right so much of the time and when we do get it right it seems like no one notices god i just ask very humbly that for the guys standing up right now that you would just encourage them that right now they would feel the weighty, the weighty hand of your favor resting on their shoulder. God, I pray that you would help them be the best dad they can be from this point on. Not perfect. But they would at least have it together enough that they would seek you every day and ask you for wisdom as they lead their families, as they do their work, 
And God, for every one of us in this room who's a son or a daughter, that's all of us, please help us work through some of these issues. And we will give you praise. And we pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus, who modeled the way for us. Amen. Have a great afternoon.